Next Sunday, Bishop Tudor Bismarck will be with us. For the last Sunday, we will be in this building. Yes, you heard it right. April 14, we move into our new sanctuary. Give God some praise. Hallelujah to the Lamb. To God be the glory. I'm so excited about that. We have a firm move-in date. When I landed yesterday, the first thing I did, I got in the car, strapped my seatbelt in place. I've been hit too many times to get in the car and not put a seatbelt on. So I put my seatbelt on and I told Jerry, excuse me a moment. My wife had picked me up and I just told her, hold on a minute. And I called Bill Palmer, our general contractor. He said, Pastor, you can make the announcement, April 14, you are in your building. And it's been a long process, but we're glad. I mean, we're kind of like that 86-year-old grandma that decided she wanted to join the aerobics class. And so she jumped and twisted and gyrated and perspired for over an hour. But she said that by the time she got her leotards on, the class was over. Amen. (laughs) So so we've done a lot of jumping and twisting and gyrating, but we are there by the grace of Almighty God. Amen. Amen. Give God some praise one more time. Hallelujah. We will have two services that will be 9 and 11. We did a survey that was your decision. We will start with two services at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And so this crowd, you will be a part of the 9 o'clock service, of course. And some of you might want to join the 11 o'clock service. If If you're in the habit of coming in a little bit late into this one, might be easier for you to do that. The 7.30 service crowd will be joining the 9 o'clock service as well. And um, we will then be reaching into our community. Our motto here is reach, inspire, elevate. That's what we're all about. Reach, inspire, elevate. Reach the world for God, but you reach your community as well. And then inspire them. The word inspire, if you want to know our church name, In the Greek, it means breathed on by God. That's why we selected that. Acts chapter 2, suddenly the Holy Spirit came, filled the house as a rushing mighty wind, the breath of God. That's what inspire means. And when you get connected with God, you get elevated. That has been the principal theme of the ministry of this church in the 31 plus years. Well, it will actually be 31 years in May, very close to being 31 plus years that I've served at this church. It's to elevate people's lives. Use the principles out of this book to help you get to where God designed you to be. Amen. And I want to turn to the word of the Lord today because the theme this year is, and now we take possession. And we are doing it. And you know what that means? You are too. Not just the possession of the building, which is the promised land for this church and our future And all that is related to it, and by that I mean a place to raise our kids. That huge, massive school complex they're building across the street. Anybody know how many millions they put into that? Just offhand, anybody know? Sorry? Over $100 million into that school facility across the street. We will have thousands of families that we will affect for God during these next few years. 
talk about a ministry to children, young people, young families, and so forth. We, that's our promised land. We have opportunity like we've never had it. And um, you, you like the name on the, on the side of the church up there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I laugh because, and I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased at the design of that church. Mandy has done it, Davis, one of our board members, his wife, and then my daughter, Shell, and the design team, they have spent, you can't imagine the hours. Andrew, uh, my grandson, the time they have spent out there to make that thing be perfect. I love the name on the side of the church, and, and I laugh because I see that's becoming popular in our community, and, and I, I'm pleased that others are catching on to our ideas and that they're actually looking up to this church. Turn to somebody and say, you're not going to recognize us when we get going. Amen. (laughs) Girl, you think we look good now? (laughs) You just hang around. Amen. We're so glad for everyone that has come. I look out and I see Shelly Williams, Kurt and Shelly doing an incredible job and their family they minister. Kurt was with us a couple of Sundays ago. He's ministering away but, uh, this weekend. But uh, precious people, and just lift your right hand and point it right over there and say, we bless you in Jesus' name. Would you do that? They do an awesome job. In Joshua 7, verse 10 through 13, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff. I want you to see that word, not only stolen, but I want you to see the word deceived. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they had become doomed to destruction. Israel has become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore. Whoa. This is now getting pretty deep here. Unless you destroy the accursed from among you, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Back to that word deceptive, the word here, disgraceful, actually in the Hebrew means to deceive. He has done a deceptive thing, which is disgraceful. Over the past couple of weeks, I've given you Eight truths that we discover when we examine what happened to Israel at Ai. We have laid out before us Israel's capture and their possession of the land of promise as a model for us to also move into our possession and our inheritance. It's amazing. The Bible is the greatest handbook on success that has ever been written, ever existed, ever will. And what's amazing about these eight lessons from Ai is that by applying them, They can cause our lives to become successful as well, so they become a pattern then. And this is really what the Bible is all about. It's not telling you stories just so you will be entertained. You say, oh, I heard that story before. It's not the story that counts. It's the principle in the story 
and the law in the principle that you can then turn around and make apply to your life. We've talked about these eight. These eight were pretty much, you know, not as obvious. You had to, you had to dig. You had to pay attention. You had to look through the story. You had to glean to find them. The one I'm going to talk about today has been the elephant in the middle of the room that we've not even discussed these last three weekends. It's the one that's right in your face. You couldn't miss this one if you tried. Today I want to talk about the ninth principle that we learn at AI, and it is this, how obedience to God helps us access the supernatural dimension of success and multiplication. My title today is simply the key to supernatural um, underscoring that word, supernatural multiplication. Father, I pray that you would visit with us this morning and open your word to our understanding. We're keenly aware, Lord, that without your word to guide our steps and lead us, we stumble around and sometimes we find the right path and oftentimes we fall off the path. And that for their, that reason, and therefore, we ask that your word would indeed be what you promised it is, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Let your principles get into our heart because your word said that the words you speak are spirit and they are life. And so let them infuse us with that life, we ask today in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. What do I mean when I say the supernatural dimension of multiplication? I personally have found out that you can work really hard because I've done it. You can apply yourself and still not get anywhere. Has anybody else been through that same experience? Without God's divine assistance, it seems that some things just take forever to come together. Or, I've also experienced this. You can do the same thing, and it's the easiest thing in the world you've ever done, and you're amazed at how successful it is in a very short time. The difference is in your ability to access the supernatural component, what I call the God component. The question that is asked in the Psalms, and most of us do not realize it's a question, but in Psalms 121, we've heard this all of our lives. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We always quote that as a statement. It isn't. It's actually a question. Psalms 121 and 1, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. That's a statement within itself. But the next part, from whence comes my help? is a question. We've never heard it like that. And the reason that it is phrased that way is that in those times, and still today, these people would set up their idols and temples on hilltops. Same thing in the Himalayas. You read about somebody going to the Himalayas and climbing the mountain to see the wise man at the top to get the wisdom of the ages. It is because every culture, whether it's the Andes, the American Indians in North America, Rather, it was the Caucasus Mountains in Russia. Rather, it is Kilimanjaro in Africa, wherever it is, the Himalayas. We always believed the gods resided. That's, that's, that's what cultures taught us. And so David, or the psalmist, whoever writes this, is simply saying, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? I'm looking. It's not from the hills. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. You can look to these little hills is what the writer's really saying all you want. But I'm looking to where the supernatural component comes in. One of my life's texts is Isaiah 45. By that I mean, when I say a life text, that while indeed all of the scripture 
is meant to speak to us in our devotional times. I'm sure you've noticed that there are verses that God begins to speak to you about that are particularly applicable to you. They become your life verses. I have a number of them that are my life verses. They are, as it were, the banks of the river that guide whatever God's anointing has been in my life. One of these verses is Isaiah 45. I'll read just the whole chapter, actually, but I'll read verse 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, and this is the way I read it and pray it, because you need to learn to pray Scripture. It's the most powerful form of prayer there is, because you are praying the pure word of Almighty God. And what I do is I say, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Rich, not Cyrus, because this is a word to me. Whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Oh, somebody ought to say the gates are not going to be shut. Would you do that? I will go before you and make the crooked places straight and I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. God gave me those verses, those verses two years before we were visited by God here some years ago, and they became profound to me when God began to speak to me about treasures of darkness that he would reveal and secret riches of, or hidden riches of secret places. That occurred and continues to unfold before us in this church. But this is the real reason that I, I share these verses that are so intimate and private and personal to me. You see, you've never heard me quote from these before. But I want you to look at what is going on here. God said, he would hold my hand. He would subdue nations before me. He would loose the armor of kings. He would open doors. He would go before me. He would break in pieces doors of bronze and bars of iron. And he would give me the treasures of darkness and riches of secret places. The emphasis is on he would do these things. Years ago, God told me that these life verses speak to me and made it very clear to me that his plan could not be accessed within my own ability. His plan for my life could only be fulfilled if I stepped into the supernatural component. Amen. I want you to know that God has incredible plans for your life, but you need God to help make those plans come to pass. Amen. And it's all about him. He's got to be the one that, that, that does it. Oh, somebody ought to say amen. Even with the supernatural component working on your behalf, there is still usually a process in getting from where you are right now to where you are called to be. And today I'm going to talk about finances, so let's make that specific to finances, though it applies to other things. For you to get from where you need to be to where you're called to be financially, there's going to be a process. God can do it overnight. I want somebody to say amen to that. God can do it overnight. I believe in that. You can wake up in the morning and everything in your world could be changed and turned around. God answers prayer. And when he shows up, he can wave a hand and, and just like that, everything gets put in order in your life. He makes, to quote the song and the scripture, all things work together for my good. But while he can do it overnight, he usually doesn't. That's what upsets us. Consider Abraham. 
Genesis 13, 2, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Abraham didn't start out wealthy. I want you to notice the verb, had become. Say it with me. Had become. He wasn't wealthy. He had become wealthy. Big difference in the two. You see, in Genesis 12, 1 through 2, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make, there it is again, I, I, God is saying the supernatural component, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and I will make you to be a blessing, amen. From Genesis 12, verses 1 through 2, to Genesis 13 and 2, a remarkable process had occurred. In fact, most of us don't know this, but Jewish rabbinical writings, if you've heard this before, I, I did share it years ago, say that Abram didn't even live in his own house. He was living with his father, who was a builder of idols. He's kind of, Abraham was kind of like one of, forgive me for saying this, young adults, but like one, some of our young millennials, they don't move out until they're 35 or 36. You know, they live down in mom and dad's basement, Right? Amen. And so Abraham was staying as Abram in his father's house and working in his father's shop. And the shop built idols. That's what they did. And Abram began to get a revelation that God was one. And he began to, and working with these idols, it came to him that these are things we're making. They, they can't do anything for us. And so he began to debate the issue right in his father's shop with the people of the community. They got angry and all up in arms. How can you say that? These are our gods. And so one night when everybody was asleep, Jewish rabbis say he took a ha- a, 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 an axe, not a hammer, an axe, went in and cut off the arms and legs of every idol in the shop and then put the, uh, the axe in the hands of one idol that he left with its arms intact. And the next morning when they came in, they came in, saw all the destruction. They said, who did this? And Abram said, he did. Look, he's holding the axe right there. And they said, you crazy, man. He can't do that. He's wood. Abraham said, that's what I've been trying to tell you all along. So they actually helped him leave. (laughs) When God said, get out of Ur of the Chaldees, they kind of helped him go. You know what I mean? I love that too about God. Because you can stand there and say no all day long. And God says yes. Amen. And you're going to end up doing what he said. And so when Abraham left, I want you to know that as Abram, he didn't have much. But thus began the process in which he began to learn. And this is important. Because you see, there, there's... Listen, i, I got to tell you this. If you're the smartest one in your group, you are in trouble. Seriously, you are in trouble. You need to surround yourself with people that will help elevate your life. Reach, inspire, elevate. That's the principle of the book. Life is all about becoming. If you do your best, hopefully you will not end up where you are right now. Amen. Any great achievement is the result of a process. And that's what Abraham went through. 
A refinery has a process for converting crude oil into gasoline. It can power an automobile. There's a process in the anointing, a process in obtaining your education and a degree, a process in becoming an attorney. We have people in this service right now that are in the process of becoming attorneys and others doctors. Building a house is a process. Building a church, even a business, is a process. You don't wake up the next morning and it's full-blown and full-grown. And the same is true with prosperity. And listen, I pray because I do know that God can do things suddenly. I pray that you'll wake up tomorrow and that all of your financial objectives will be met and that you will be at a higher level and plane that you'll enjoy for the rest of your life. I pray it will happen. But hear me. Don't shout too soon. Don't shout me down now. Amen. If that is your go-to plan, that it's going to happen overnight, your go-to plan doesn't have much go in it. Can I get real with you? If you're thinking you're going to win the lottery or an inheritance, and that's how you're going to make it, that's not much of a go-to plan. I'm not preaching against the lottery. I'm not, I heard about one pastor who pastors in our city, and a lady in the church won the lottery, wanted to come pay off the church, and he refused. In my opinion, he's not smart enough to be in ministry. Amen. <laughs> we'll take it, sanctify it, and everything else. <laughs> but, but if that's your go-to plan, you're in trouble. What you need is a process. People are always destination-oriented. They always think that they get the right job, work for the right company, win the lottery, litigate a successful lawsuit. They've got it made from that time forward. And let me tell you why that should not be your go-to plan. Two quick reasons. Number one, if it does happen that way and it happens overnight, for many people that it happens overnight, they lose it just as fast as they got it. Because getting there is supposed to be a process. And as you walk through the process, you learn the steps to get there. But it's not only the steps to get there, it's the steps on how to stay there. Hear what I'm talking about. Because life can knock you down. Look at somebody and say, but with God's help, I'm going to get up again. Oh, yes. Ask the president of Coca-Cola, and I've been in 103 different nations, and everywhere I've ever been, there's Coca-Cola. The most remote regions of Africa, Micronesia, South America, no matter where I've been, Coca-Cola's already there. (laughs) I'm serious. They are literally around the world. And they asked the president of Coca-Cola, what would happen if you lost everything? And he smiled and said, you can take every asset, you can have every, every truck, every bottling plant, every distributorship, you can have it all. He said, leave us with two things, our name and our formula that is in that safe right there. And in 10 years, we'll be right back where we are right now. And here's what you need to know. When you go through the process, you get a formula that nobody can take away from you. And if you do get knocked down, you're able to get up again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Give God a praise break right now. Amen. Somebody worship God. Amen. And you see, the second reason that that should not be your go-to plan is because not only do you not learn the process, amen, that 
you go through, it keeps you from developing a process. You sit around waiting for the windfall. You're not working on, on creating anything. You hear what I'm talking about? You're waiting for Aunt Susie that's in the nursing home to die. And she's got Alzheimer's. She don't even remember you. You're not going to be in the wheel. You... I hope you are, but my point is, what's your plan B? That really ought to be your plan A. Now, why is this so important in the story of AI? It is important for this reason. What we learn at AI opens up the supernatural component, the God component for us. And let me explain why. This principle works because it introduces us to this concept. That is, that sacred things have a dual nature. Everybody say that. Sacred things have a dual nature. And we come to understand at AI the protocol for how sacred things should be handled. What do I mean the dual nature? Look at this. When things are cursed, God knows how to make them holy. Joshua 6.18, and you by all means abstain. This is God's instruction before they went to Jericho, abstain from the accursed thing lest you become accursed. And when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Whoa, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. And they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Wait a minute, God. You just said it's cursed. Now you're saying it's consecrated to God. Oh, you didn't see that, did you? Dual nature of sacred things. They're cursed, but God said they're consecrated to me. Now, now how is that? The word cursed in the Hebrew is koram, and it means literally dedicated to destruction. If you spent any time in the Middle East or in African countries or other places where there is an Arabic uh, population or a Muslim population, you will hear them speak of things that are haram. That's the word right there. Only this is the Hebrew way that it is, is spelled and pronounced. Haram, port, haram, we can't touch that. Why? It's cursed. And when you touch what is cursed, you take the curse upon yourself. Ooh, now you've got to watch this very, very close. Fifteen times in this story, God tells Israel to give Jericho and everything in it to me because it is accursed. It is accursed. Then he turns around and says it's consecrated to the Lord. Even though it was their promised land and Israel was excited about receiving the inheritance they had waited all these years to receive, Canaan, you must understand, was cursed. It says it right here. The land was polluted by the, by the sins of the people. Look at this, Leviticus 18, 25, before they ever got there. For the land of Canaan is defiled. Therefore, I punish the inhabitants of its iniquity upon it and the land vomits out. Can you see that? You ever have a child that had projectile vomiting? <laughs> Grandchild, I mean, they were like, they were like the exorcist. <laughs> That's what the land was doing to the people that was in it. The land was accursed. The people had become cursed. And God said, that's your promised land. That, this is a huge problem. How can that be my promised land when it's carrying a curse? God says it's consecrated to me, but it's a curse. Watch this. Isn't that exactly what God told Adam when he was cast out of the garden? Genesis 3, 17. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You're going to struggle every single day because the ground is cursed. This is what God did. God asked 
Israel to give him Jericho that he could redeem the land. It was his tithe from the land of Canaan. Through the tithe, the rest of the land of Canaan would become holy because that's what God does when you give him his tithe. He removes the curse from everything else. I need somebody to give God some praise right now. How do you cause what is cursed to become consecrated and holy? A clue is actually found in the meaning of the word. Consecrated means dedicated or set aside as holy and sacred to the Lord. To remove the curse from something, you must first set apart a part of it and give it to God that he can make it holy and sacred. You see, people always think that they can just become rich and that they will be successful from that point on. But if your money's cursed and your car's cursed and your house is cursed and your life is cursed and your stocks are cursed, you keep crashing over and you do exactly what they did at AI. You do so well at Jericho and at AI you stumble and fall and you come to a halt and you got to back up and put it in reverse and go to Jericho because you didn't learn the lesson. What happens when you give what is cursed to God is he absorbs the curse by covering it with his holy nature. And what was cursed now becomes blessed. That's why God said it's cursed, but yet it's consecrated. Because when I absorb it, I cover it with my nature. And it becomes holy. Isn't that what happened to us? God took us who were unholy, unwashed, unsanctified, washed us in his blood and gave us and imputed to us his righteousness, not ours. That's why God said, I will open the doors that are closed. I, it's always the supernatural component. Amen. When things are given to him, he first dedicates these things to himself and then he covers them with his blood and his holiness and the vessels that carried a curse now carry a blessing. Mm. This is a clip from, y'all, anybody remember the old movie, The Mask with Jim Carrey? Anybody just, a few of you do? He used to be one of my favorite actors until he decided to, to get all messed up in drugs and all kind of crazy stuff. And I don't listen much to him anymore. But this is The Mask. And the damsel in distress is about to be blown up by this huge bomb. Watch what The Mask does with it, if you would. Help! <laughs> That's what God does with a curse. He says, that's a spicy meatball. And he removes the curse when you give it to him. Well, somebody in the building ought to give God some praise right now. Woo! Romans eleven sixteen. for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. When you give God the first fruit, everything else becomes holy. He absorbs the curse. Tithing is important for reasons that most people do not understand, even in the church. Most believers are not aware what the real purpose of tithing is all about. They think tithing is to finance the church or various ministry concerns, such as buildings or missions or helping the needy or the poor. That isn't why you give your tithe. 
Now, to be certain, all of those things are made possible, and we do them every day because people tithe. There wouldn't be that building without the tithe. There wouldn't be the ministry we do in the community without tithe. There wouldn't be the churches you built overseas without the tithe. But listen, you need to understand the primary reason for giving God the tithe is so he can remove the curse that's on everything else that he wants to have happen in your life. Give God his Jericho. Do you hear me? Give God his Jericho. If you're stumbling over AI, give God his Jericho. Put it in reverse and go back. And give God what belongs to him. Because if you don't, you will keep falling at the same place. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen. I promise you it will. Achan had disobeyed God's command. Now I'm closing with this. Just a few quick points. And instead of moving into the supernatural dimension of multiplication, Israel, the scripture says, actually committed a trespass against the Lord in taking the accursed thing. The word trespass means an unlawful or treacherous act in Hebrew. The idea is to step over a boundary into a forbidden area. That's trespass. Somebody trespasses on your property. Somebody trespasses on your lawn. You understand what I mean? It's forbidden. You say, well, why does God have these rules? I mean, why is that forbidden anyway? The answer to that's really simple. He was sending Israel there and he wanted to elevate them that the rest of the world would look at them and say, wow, and then look at him. But if you're on the same level as everybody else and the guys that just get kicked out, nobody's going to want your God. And so God said, don't do this. This is a trespass. But Achan did it anyway. And it AI, we learned these several quick points. Number one, we learned we should stop sowing the wrong things. Say that. Stop sowing. One more time. Stop. He took a suit. He looked over and saw that Babylonian Armani. That Gucci. He saw that 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. And he went and buried them under the floor of his tent. Are you getting a picture of this? Buried them under the floor of his tent. What happens to a suit when you bury it in the ground, somebody? Come on, help me out. You've got this beautiful suit of clothes. And you dig a hole and put it in the ground and cover it up and lay the floor of your tent across the top of it. What happens to it? Does it grow? Does it produce a suit tree? Hello? The gold, the silver, do they multiply? No. You can spend your life burying and sowing the wrong thing. Sow the right thing. Sow the right seed. It won't produce. It's not going to reproduce clothes. At AI number two, we learned that just because you have it doesn't mean that it belongs to you. Ooh, he believed that what he brought home was his. Kind of sounds like us today. I worked for it. I brought it home. I got my paycheck, direct deposit. It belongs to me. Mm-mm-mm. God let him take it. He didn't stand in the middle of the road and say, stop, Aiken, put it down. God didn't do it. God wanted to see if he could be trusted. And obviously he couldn't. And the question is, asking Malachi, will a man rob God? Short answer is, yep, <laughs> you better believe he will. <laughs> Amen. Number three, at AI, we learn there is one who sees all. Because not only, not only 
do we learn to stop sowing the wrong things? And not only do we learn that just because you have it doesn't mean it's yours, but at AI, we learn that even though nobody saw him, there was one who did. The neighbors didn't see him. Joshua didn't see him. The elders of Israel didn't see him. It seems that maybe his own wife did not even see him. And he brought it into the house and he buried the things that belonged to God. But though the neighbors didn't see and Joshua didn't see and the elders didn't see and the wife he didn't see, there was one who did see. And you see, you need to realize this. We will never ask you what you earn at Inspire Church. I'll never ask you to see a pay stub. That is stupid. I know churches that have done that. I will never do that. I don't go look over the books to see who's tithing and who isn't. And that may be a fault on my part. But I want to tell you this. There's somebody that looks over the books every single day. Amen. And look, if you keep what's cursed, it's going to bring a curse into your life because principle number four, at AI we learn when we embrace a curse things rather than give them to God to sanctify them, the curse they carry attaches itself to us and upon our homes and upon our families. Now, let me talk to you. Let me tell you the number one question that I've had about the Bible all of these many years until some number of years ago, and I've I've been in this a long time now, but the one question that I had for God was why did Achan and all his family die when it was Achan who did wrong? I want to ask you, did anybody else ever ever wonder about that? Let me see your hand. Am I the only one? Take, take his whole family out there is what God said. Stone him and burn him with fire. Ooh, like, wait a minute. You're a God of mercy? It was Achan that did it. Let me, let me point some things out and set aside for just a moment the emotion of the story and just look at four fundamental reasons that Achan and, and his family died. Number one, in the Old Testament, God always establishes principles of truth. Types and shadows are set there that become real in the New Testament. He had his family there because it was demonstrating a principle. Number two, the wrong decisions about what we should do with what belongs to God will inevitably cost us more than we want to pay. Hear what I'm saying. And the fact that Achan's family is there demonstrates the huge, monumental, horrific cost attached to disobedience. Number three, and before I move on, when I say pay, and it's a bigger price than you really want to pay, I need to say this. He had his children there too. Oh, God, does that tear your heart out. Why? Because God is typing something. Poverty is multi-generational. I need a response from the congregation. Poverty is multi-generational. If you were raised with a curse of poverty on your home, you pass it to your kids. They pass it to your grandchildren. Hello. Somebody's got to stand up and break the curse. Somebody's got to break the curse. And what happened when he had his children out there, God is demonstrating Achan by not having the supernatural component. You not only kept it from taking place in your life, you're robbing your children of the opportunity to grow up with a supernatural element as a part of their future. It's the whole rich dad, poor dad thing. You can't give your kids what you don't have. Amen. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Number three, when you keep a curse, things rather than give them to God, the curse they carry always transfers to you. 
Listen to what God said, Malachi 3.9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, I realize a holy hush is descending in the house right now. <laughs> you can't even laugh about it. It's getting so serious right now. I mean, I'm, I'm getting close to where some people live at this very moment. But when you keep a curse, things, the curse they carry doesn't get processed by God to turn it into a blessing. It doesn't. And that's the dual nature of curse things. Give it to God. He'll sanctify everything else. Keep it. You carry the curse yourself. You don't want to do that. And that's what God is demonstrating with these pathetic children are crying out, Daddy, Daddy. And they lose their lives. You say that's hard. It is hard. But who put them there? And God is saying, Achan, when you keep a curse things, that's what you're doing. You're, you're transporting those to your children. And this is a type that families must understand throughout all time. And number four, God knows the wrong model will inevitably affect others outside your family. So he has to deal with the whole thing right now. Because uncorrected disobedience always affects others. And remember, God wanted Israel to model what his goodness and favor upon a people could be like that other nations would want to serve him too. And the fifth thing that I will say in closing here, because I've talked to you about we learn to stop sowing the wrong things. We learn that just because you have it doesn't mean it belongs to you. We learn there is one who sees all. And we learn that when you embrace accursed things rather than give them to God to sanctify them, the curse they carry attaches to us and upon our home and our families. But the fifth thing we learn is this. Notice the effect that keeping or giving to God an accursed thing has on your future. In chapter 7, God said, give it all to me. Give me Jericho. And then in chapter 8, God said, you can keep it all from this time forward. You see, what you do right now affects your future. There's a whole promised land in front of you. God said, give me my tithe right now, my first fruit, and then you be willing to give me my tithe as you move forward. I'm going to give you all this land, houses you did not build, wells you did not dig, vineyards you did not plant. Can I get a, an amen from somebody? And wells that will continue to spring forth. Say this with me. From generation to, come on, say it again. Generation, say from me to my kids, say it. And from my kids to my grandkids. When you open that well, you open a well that's still springing generations later. Somebody in this house is going to turn their family around. I got this text, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday when I landed in Amsterdam this week. From one of our worship leaders, and I'm not going to give you names. If they want to share it, that's up to them. He just said, had to share with you on Saturday night, he calls his wife's name, his wife's name, told me that she felt I was going to close a deal worth $9,000 this week and that we should give $900. So on Sunday we gave it and on Monday a $9,000 deal was signed in a contact through email with a person that he's never spoken to once over the phone or in person. Talk about quick returns. This is still the text. God is so good to us, Pop. Can't wait to get the check and pay the tithe. Tithing is not what you think. Tithing isn't taking from you. Tithing is opening your future. 
Now, I close with this because in the first service, the Spirit impressed this upon me so heavily. What happens when you don't pay a debt, an obligation? Somebody attaches, say this word, a lien. Come on, say a lien. They will come get your salary, I-R-S. We'll see that you get your, their, their money deducted before you even see a paycheck because they have a, come on, help me. They have a, I'm preaching to somebody that's going to get a lien removed from their life this morning. There's going to be a breakthrough in this house. Stand with me across the building if you would. And would you come join with me because I want to pray with you before we go. The dual nature of sacred things. They're both holy and cursed. If you keep them for yourself, they're cursed. If you give them to God, he consecrates them. If you consecrate it, set it aside, he will sanctify it. Now, I wish I had about four Sundays to work on this. And you say, are you preaching this just because we're moving into the new building? Nope. (laughs) AI came (laughs) whether we were moving into a building or not. And this is the obvious lesson. But I'm going to tell you up front, this has nothing to do with Inspire Church in that building. We're going to get there. We're going to pay it off. God's going to help us. But listen, what I'm talking about is a key to unlock your future. Your future. Private moment with every head bowed right now. Every head bowed. And just an honest moment before God with no one in this building looking around. How many have got stuck at AI and you feel bogged down. Let me see your hand right now. Lord, look at the hands that are going up in this building. Father, today I come against the lien that the enemy has placed against every man and woman in this building. Lord, today I declare by the grace of Jesus Christ that liens are being lifted. Liens are being lifted. Liens are being lifted. Liens are being lifted. Oh, Lord. I need you to lift your hand and say, Liens are being lifted right now. Liens are being removed. You see, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know where you're paying it either. I don't know if you're paying it in your marriage, paying it in your health, paying it in your finances, but there's a lien. And right now we break the legal hole the enemy has over your life. Leans are being lifted today. Leans are being lifted. But for that to really be effective, you may have to make a decision. You see, AI is about making a decision to back up and go back to Jericho and fix what was not settled there. Would you lift your hands and make that decision right now across this building? And if you are not honoring God by giving God his tithe, I want you to make a decision to do that at this moment. I want you to be faithful. Now, like I said, I'm not coming to look and see what your checkbook looks like. This is between you and God, but I am motivated by the fact that I know the future waits. Your future waits. Your Canaan land waits. Your promised land is waiting. And would you lift your hands right now and shout these words today. I declare that I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. I want the supernatural component. I want to live with a God factor present every day. 
I don't want to try to do it by myself. I refuse to try to do it by myself. God, I need you right now. I expect you to open doors. I expect you to make a way. And today, I declare that I will be faithful in giving you what belongs to you. I will trust you to remove the curse from my promised land and convert it into a blessing. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, giving praise. Giving praise. Woo! Giving praise, everybody. God is doing something in this house right now. Give me Jericho. That's all I want, God said. Give me Jericho. And then you can have everything after it. But if you don't, and you try to deceive me like Achan did, you're going to stumble at Ai. Your business will fail. Your marriage will struggle needlessly. With your hands raised one more time, I want you to say these words. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That things are changing in my life today. And it really is happening. Somebody in this building is being set free right now. I would not be surprised if somebody didn't receive a miracle healing right now. Because when you do that, you step into the supernatural component. Oh, Lord. If you don't have a home church, we'd love for you to become a part of Inspired Church. Please stop in the lobby at the information booth. If you need a miracle, there are people here, that prayer counselors that will pray with you. If you've never given your heart to God, why don't you do it right now? I love you so much. God bless you. Have an incredible week. See you next weekend with Bishop Tudor. God bless you. Be inspired. Be inspired.